Yeah. They say it's supposed to start raining tonight. I hope it does. Tonight or tomorrow? Yeah, boy. We'll let you do the rain dance. Yeah, or you are. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's supposed to come in from, from the west, so... I didn't hear you. Yeah, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I give you guys a week off, and what do you do? Just go wild on me here, you know? crazy. Hey, um, one of the things that I do want to uh, mention to you, and I'm sure you're all doing it, but we really need to pray for our country. It's, um, it's a mess, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get it to, get it to be better other than a spiritual revival, you know, that would do it, so... Keep praying for our president and all of our officials and Supreme. Yeah, pray, pray that he makes the right decision there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I watched uh, part of the news where they um, announced the uh, the grand jury findings, and you know, anymore it's not you're presumed innocent until you're found guilty, you're guilty if we think you're guilty. And that is uh, a terrible, a terrible thing. Kathleen? Yeah. Twenty-six. What's today? Twenty-three? Is today twenty-three? So that's... So the National Day of Prayer that she's talking about is on Saturday? Okay. Well, where is that going to take place? Just everybody's... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pray. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's hope not. 
Teakwood's right over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we do come before you tonight. We confess to you, Father, that we fall short of your glory every single day. We thank you so much for providing the ultimate sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your precious life, your death, your resurrection, ascension, and your intercession, which gives us access to the Father. Lord, we do want to pray for our country and for our president, his family, his staff, for all of the people that are put in governing positions regarding, regardless of whether they are a Republican, Democrat, or whatever. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on the face of this earth without measure, that you draw all people to you, Lord, that, Father, you'd please help us to uh, have great revival in this country and hopefully in the world. Lord, we pray for the folks there in Kentucky that, um, Lord, you would send your spirit to that town and convict those people who would be uh, hurtful and rioting and abusive, Lord. Father, we know that there is there is reasons that these things are happening, Lord, and and it is a spiritual battle, Father. Our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and powers that rule the air. And Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we do have victory over all that. And that the one thing we can be assured of, Father, is that we are going to go to heaven when we pass through this world. So Lord, please help our president, all of our elected officials. Please, Father, we pray that you help the police and the, the responders that are going to be active at these different sites. We pray for a great conviction to be given to any person, especially if they're in a govern, governing position, if they are against your divine establishment principles, Lord. We pray for a conviction of sin for all of us, Lord, that we might uh, restore and, and replenish our relationship with you. Father, please bless your word. We just pray that you'll give us wisdom, understanding, discretion, and knowledge through it. Lord, we do want to pray for um, your Christian people around the world, that you'd help your Christian people with their health, their marriages, or if they're single, their jobs and businesses, their ministries. Help those who are suffering, poor, hungry, uh, discouraged, and depressed. Help those who are living in countries where they cannot worship you openly or living in and through some type of disaster, Lord, including these fires or floods or the virus, etc., Father. And we thank you so much that you have kept that uh, virus from reaching our church, Lord. And we just pray that, Father, you would continue to extinguish it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord God in heaven, we owe you everything, Lord, and we, we deserve nothing. We just thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your justice and righteousness, your eternality, Lord. We thank you for your love. Oh, Father, help us to love you back. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, my friends, we are in the book of Exodus, and I want to pick up our story in Exodus 12, 31, okay? Exodus 12, 31. So what's happened is this, is that the Jews under um, one of the patriarchs, I believe it was Jacob, moved down to Egypt in the land of Goshen, because Joseph was um, basically prime minister there. And they flourished, and they grew, and they were prosperous, but a new pharaoh came in after Joseph's death and saw how prosperous these Jewish people were and decided to enslave them. And he enslaved them, I'm sure, a part of which was done by some type of force, okay? And um, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, for four generations. And God raised up Moses, a very humble man, to go and deliver his people. And Moses, of course, went through his different trials and tests and the things that... um, caused him be, to become the person that he was. You know, it's, it's interesting when you think about it because he learned the art of warfare, the skill of, of uh, c- communication, etc., while he was in Egypt under Pharaoh's household. But then when he went out into the desert and became Jethro's son-in-law, he learned the different uh, uh, way of life of taking care of people, taking care of animals, uh, living out a a much more meager existence, I'm sure. And uh, God put him in the position of being basically Israel's uh, um, negotiator, if you will. He is a picture of Jesus Christ. And as Moses leads the people out of the slavery of Egypt... Jesus Christ leads us out of the slavery of sin. Alright? So that's where we are, is God has disciplined very heavily the nation of Egypt with these plagues. And each plague had its own particular um, result, the last plague of which was the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn... In the, in the home and the death of the firstborn in the animals. And you know, when I was thinking about this, you know, God sacrificed his firstborn, didn't he? Yeah, he sacrificed his firstborn. And so in Genesis, or in the Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, here's what it says. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up. Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Is this too loud? Is, it's okay? Okay. Um, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. That's an interesting thing, I mean, for Pharaoh to say, especially um, after the death of his firstborn son. I mean, he did acknowledge that God had power and that God had blessings. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. 
So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. So, not only do they get to leave, but they, in effect, collected past wages that were due them from being enslaved for those many years. And got to remember something, too, because in the next... Well, let's read the next verse, verse 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. That's a lot of people. 600,000. And this has the, the connotation in the original of 6,000 men who were ready to fight. 6,000 able men. So we're not even talking about women, children, and probably the disabled, etc. There was undoubtedly well over a million people, and estimates go as high as probably two. Now think about that just for a minute, you guys. I mean, think about Moses leading these people, God telling them, I want you to go. He didn't tell Moses where he was going to take them. They were to be guided each step of the way, right? And two million people following them? It's not like 20 or 30 people. It's like two million people, or a million at least. And you think about the, just the the statistics that that goes through your mind the food the clothing the the water the shelter uh you know finding uh uh places that you could you could shelter for for that time and remember they originally told pharaoh that it was going to be a 3 day journey but what we're going to find out tonight is in chapter 19 if we get that far that it was uh, over two months, in fact, it was three months after they left Egypt until they got to the foot of Mount Sinai. All right? So their three-day journey (laughs) wasn't three days. That's for sure. So we continue on. No porta-potties either. You had to bring that up, didn't you? Oh, what goes in must come out. Maybe they were all fasting. I don't know. Let's hope. Okay. So verse 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There was about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went with them. So there was a contingent of Egyptians that saw these plagues and saw the power of God and said, you know what? I'm going with them because they're the ones that have this power of this God and perhaps they were being converted over to believing in God, but they had many other people that were with them. And it says, they, uh, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds, with the dough they had brought from Egypt. Now this must have been a lot of dough. I mean, really... 
With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now remember one thing about leaven or yeast is that it is a type for sin. Okay? So when he says, you know, go with, with unleavened bread without yeast, what he's saying is, is don't sin. Okay? Don't bring sin with you. Okay? Don't bring the leaven with you. You know, because a little yeast leavens the whole lump. And you put a little yeast in... I'm not a baker, so you guys will have to correct me if I'm wrong. But you put a little yeast in and the whole thing... And it's like a little bit of sin. Uh-huh. Yeah, it doesn't take much sin to really... Yeah, get you sidetracked, huh? It says here in verse 40, Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. I mean, this is quite the loss of slave labor to the Pharaoh, isn't it? Now, we're going to find out that he finally regrets that he... You know, it's amazing how short people's memories are. And another thing to think about is how long did it... They're all on foot, basically. How long did it take for them, for, for one to two million people, just to leave Egypt? I mean, that had to take a while, right? That wasn't like overnight. So this is, this is a big deal. It says in verse 43, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. Now what was the Passover? The Passover dinner, alright, was to be a lamb, and it was to be sacrificed on, do you remember how many days they were to keep it? Four days. Right. Why were they to keep it for four days? To get familiar with it. To, it would almost become a pet at that point. So, so what that would do then is when they had to sacrifice, it really brought out the meaning of sacrifice. We're sacrificing our little pet lamb. Alright? And that was to show us a very tiny, tiny taste of how God felt in sacrificing His own Son. Okay? Now, so, he says in verse 43, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Remember what circumcision is? It was a sign to Abraham of the covenant that God was making, wasn't it? Okay? Now, it must be eaten inside one house. That's the family. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, none of his bones were broken. So this was, the Passover was a picture of, of Jesus Christ and as the lamb dying in the place 
as a substitute for us and for our sins and for the sins of the entire world. And in fact, we know that the very hour that Jesus Christ was crucified and hung on the cross, that very hour, you could look from Calvary where Jesus was across the Kidron Valley into the temple and you could see the smoke arising from the sacrifice as the high priest, the Jewish high priest, was sacrificing the lamb while Jesus Christ, the lamb, was being sacrificed on the cross. So they were still, you know, following the the Mosaic law and Jesus Christ was setting up the new law, the, the law of grace, if you will. That must have been, you know, for Jesus, think about that. I mean, here he is on the cross. He can see right across to the temple. He knows exactly what's going on in the temple. And yet in his mind, he also knows that he is the sacrificial lamb. And that what he, if you will use the word feared, okay, at Gethsemane, when he sweat great drops of blood and cried out to his father, Father, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass, but nevertheless your will be done. Jesus Christ knew that there was going to be a consequence for him being judged for the sin, but he had never been separated from the Spirit or from his Father, so he had no clue what, it, what death was like, especially spiritual death. And that's why he screamed for three hours on the cross, my God speaking to the Father, my God speaking to the Spirit, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that, I mean, our Savior really was a very courageous person. The most courageous person I think that's ever lived. It's amazing. So, now, we are in verse 48. Thank you. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. So that was evidence that they were following of the Abrahamic covenant, okay? No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded, Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. So they were divided probably by tribes or or, uh, you know, whatever. And um, the Lord brought them out. Now, chapter 13, I believe, is where we stopped, isn't it? Okay, so let's go into chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. Now, this is, this is odd to our Western culture to think of this. But he says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. Why do you think that he wanted that. The firstborn male was considered to be the most important, wasn't it? I mean, in in this culture, all right? And God said, I want you to sacrifice 
you know, or set apart the most important to me. He says this, the first offering of every womb among the Israelites belonged to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your head and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Interesting because the law hadn't been given yet, huh? Yeah, but the law of the Lord. You know... Before the law was given, conscience helped dictate right from wrong. God gave us a conscience. And in our conscience, if we are true to our conscience and not morally degraded like we have people, especially today, our conscience will help us make the right choice. Of course, now we have the Word to help us make the right choice and the Spirit to guide us, which is awesome. So, the Feast of Passover is very closely related to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Alright? Now, we go on this. It says in verse 9, This observance will be for you like a sign on your head and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Now this is interesting because what, what, did, what did the Pharisees and Sadducees do? Now these were the religious leaders. So instead of taking this exact verse into their heart and saying the law of the Lord is to be on their heart, they made these little leather boxes with a strap and put it on their forehead or on their wrist, and that was... <laughs> do you, do you get, they, they made a ritual out of something that should have been internalized. And even worse than that is that the ritual became a sign of spirituality. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to walk around with a little leather box on my forehead, okay? It's just, I don't even want to wear a mask, all right? I'm not wearing no little leather box, that's for sure, unless it's got diamonds or something in it. Then maybe. Verse 11, now after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, now these Jews did not know what lay ahead of them. They knew that the Lord had delivered them or was delivering them out of Egypt, 
But they didn't know that the road was going to be pretty tough. And we're going to see that they didn't, they ended up deserting their faith several times. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to your forefathers, to you, you are to give over to the Lord the first offering of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. A donkey was considered to be an unclean animal. A lamb was a clean animal. So you were to redeem the firstborn donkey with a clean animal, a lamb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So basically what the Lord says is, if you're not going to redeem the firstborn, kill it and give it back to me. And that's, that's weird to us. I mean, it just is. But, but remember, in the Old, the Old Testament is Christ concealed. So you, we need to be seeing Christ in these um, passages and the New Testament is Christ revealed. So when we go back here um, to, let's see, where do I want to go to? Uh, verse 7, 13, 7. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast is to be seen among you. If yeast represents sin, then substitute the word sin here. Nothing with with sin is to be seen among you. Why? Because the Lord delivered you from slavery. Nor shall any sin be seen within your borders. When we were saved, okay, we were saved unto a life of holiness. That's our goal. That's our mission, is to glorify God and to become more and more and more like Him. Is that not true? Okay, and sin, of course, is a hindrance. It's a hindrance to that goal. And that's the reason why we are to flee from evil, we are to eschew sin, and avoid it if we can, which most of the time we can. Um, now, in verse 14, in days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the bond of slavery, out of the land of slavery. So this tells us that we should be definitely teaching our children about the meaning of the Bible, because he says, when your son asks you, you tell him. You tell him what this means. When Pharaoh stubbornly, stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offering of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Now, we go into verse 17. And this is very interesting. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. That would have been the shorter route. Okay? 
Though, oh, says though, that was shorter. <laughs> Got ahead of myself. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God has a plan here. All right? And he's leading them on the longer route out of the Philistine territory because the Philistines were a very warlike peoples. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now, there is some debate as to whether this is, this is correct uh, in the sense that did the Egyptians let them have arms? Um, I think that this is more to say that they were ready for their the fight that they were going to that they were going to encourage. Now, I want I want you to think about this one verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. What's going to happen at the Red Sea? They're going to be trapped, aren't they? They're going to have the sea in front of them and they're going to have the chariots, the troops of Pharaoh behind them. But that's exactly where God led them. Hmm. Hold still and see the deliverance of the Lord, huh? Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on oath. You know, this is really neat, you know, when you can look and see generation after generation after generation who respected the preceding generations. He took the bones of Joseph. Now, Joseph was, you know, a ways away now at this point. He's been dead for a while. I wish we had that same respect today for, for the generations. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God will never leave us or forsake us. Never. Never, never. Never, ever, never. 14.1 then, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. So they're, making, they're backtracking a little bit. And encamp near Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now, I want you to go with me. Let me see. Uh, i got to find the right um, verse. Mm. Well, I'll find it. We'll, we'll, we'll run across. It's in 14. So, God leads them to the sea. Okay. Now, verse 4. This is probably not the news that Moses wanted to hear. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh 
and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. You know, you would think, I mean, you would think, that Pharaoh and his officials would say, hmm, boy, there was a plague of blood, plague of flies, plague of frogs, plague of hail, plague of darkness, plague of the death of the firstborn, and probably a plague I forgot. You know, I think we're going to let them go. I think we're just going to leave well enough alone, we'll go out and we'll do our own dirty work. Mm -mm. Nope, nope, nope. Short memory. So what happens? Verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Now think about this. The chariot of this time was like the horse in a sense that it was the ultimate weapon. Okay? When you had a chariot, you had a driver, and then you had a shooter. All right? So the driver, and, and they were so fast that anybody on foot is not going to keep up with the chariot. And so the, 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 the driver will drive the chariot so that the shooter can get as many kills as possible or get as many shots. So this was, for this time, this was the ultimate weapon. This would be like... You and me being chased by a bunch of drones armed with something bad. Really bad. <laughs> Verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, the chariots, horsemen, and troop pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Pi, or whatever it is, Hieroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. If you go back to verse... Hold on. Two, is it? Okay. Yeah, this is exactly where the Lord told them to go. Exactly. And this is exactly where Pharaoh catches up with him. Okay? Yeah. Uh, mine says uh, Zephon and Zephon. Yeah. You probably got a... Um, who knows? <laughs> but I do like the I do like that in Ma Bobble. In Ma Bobble. <laughs> that was Oklahoma all the way. <laughs> carry on, okay. I've gotten the word. I better carry on. Alright. Now verse ten, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites so they, they probably hadn't even seen that the, that the Pharaoh was coming. 
As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, I can just imagine the tone of voice. Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I think it'd be better to die in the desert personally, but that's my own opinion. Okay? Remember that old saying? Better red than or better dead than red? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Better I I wasn't alive then. I was just came to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, Bill. Yeah, yeah, numbers. What are you in numbers fourteen? Yeah. So this, when they, when it says they cried out to the Lord, this, this is more of a complaining cry than a please save me cry. All right. So what, what did Moses say? Verse thirteen. Moses answered the people, "Do not be afraid." Oh yeah, right, Moses. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today will never you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You know, put yourself in Moses's place. Oh, he had to have faith. I mean, two million people, and he's telling these people, "Don't be afraid." <laughs> have you seen what's going on up there? Have you seen what's in front of us? We got a no-win situation. Well, what happened? Well, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? I love this. Tell the Israelites to move on. Get your butt in gear. Don't let anything hinder you. Go for the gusto. Don't stand around complaining. Do something, right? Raise your staff, verse 16, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know, I just thought of something too as I, as I read this. You know, this in a way could reveal something about the, the, the love that God has for people because he was really using these instances to witness to the people of Egypt, wasn't he? I mean, these people were worshiping a plethora of false gods, etc., and uh, they needed 
they needed the Lord. So this would have been a witness, a witness to the Egyptians too. Now Pharaoh and his armies didn't do too well. Verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. You know, we've seen on, I don't know whether it's on National Geo or the History Channel or wherever, but uh, they say that this was not the Red Sea, this was the Reed Sea. And if you go into the etymology of the word, it does, it is the Reed Sea. It wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. Now, at the same time, so the National Geographic Special says, well, you know... It was probably only, you know, maybe waist deep and had a little wind and the, the people, you know. But we're going to find out that all of the chariots and all of the horsemen and all of the soldiers were drowned. You don't drown in, in waist deep water if you've got, on a chariot. You, you've got to have water that's at least over your head. So this was not just, you know... Uh, ankle deep water or something this was this was a substantial amount of water that God parted here now verse 22 and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. Obviously, they had not gone for their 50,000-mile tune-ups. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back into to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Well, you know, this doesn't last long. That's the problem. Yeah. 
You know, it says in 2 Corinthians that the just shall live by faith and not by sight. Now, these people had the luxury of seeing, all right? What did Jesus say? I believe it was in uh, John, the, one of the latter chapters of the Gospel of John. He says, blessings to those who have not seen and yet believe. Yeah, that would be us. So, you know, the, the lesson for me here too is we're all going to come into a situation where we're between a rock and a hard place or between the sea and the chariots or, you know, we've, we've, things look bleak. And I, I know that if we went around the room and we just talked to everyone, let everyone have a, a, a three or four minute testimony about, we would all have a story about something in our life that we came up against that we did not think we were going to make it through. And we made it through. And the Lord was faithful in all that. And you know something, my friends? We're going to make it through all the way to heaven. We're going to make it through all the way. If, um, if this country, the United States of America, goes sideways, and um, you know what? We're going to make it. We're going to make it through. Uh, I, I really... You know, it's interesting, and, and I won't charge you for this. I normally would, but... Um, if you think about 9-11, okay, think about how that changed the world. Changed airfare, flying, TSA. It changed terrorist thinking. It, I mean, that was a, the world has never been the same since, has it? And I really believe that this COVID thing, along with all these riots and the political unrest, especially in our country... Unfortunately, the, um, the United States of America that we grew up in and really loved is probably changed for, for good. And it doesn't make any difference who wins in November in the sense that whoever wins, there's still going to be trouble. Okay? There's still going to be trouble. Yes. Whoever wins, God is still on the throne, isn't he? And God is, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but this morning in my prayers, I was thinking, you know, about Trump and, you know, his stance with Israel and, you know, his stance really against, uh, against the abortion and trying to put conservative judges on the Supreme Court and, and all of the federal judges and everything that they've appointed. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, why did you allow Obama to get elected uh, for two terms because, I mean, you know, depending on your point of view, uh, you know, Obama kind of distanced from Israel and did things that we as Christians would think would not be in accordance with God's word, you know, lighting up the light, the White House in, in gay colors. Uh, yeah, saying we weren't a Christian nation, right. And, you know, the Lord puts people in power, He takes them out of power, and it all serves as the puzzle that God is putting together for this end time that we're facing. And so, you know, what's our job in this? Well, our job is not to worry, 
okay? Because worry is the opposite of what? Faith, right? We're not to worry, we're just to um, believe and trust and cling to and rely upon God that he will take care of us in whatever way he deems right. Now, we're going to see this song of Moses and Miriam in chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And this is written like poetry, it really is. Then Moses, this says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy in the greatness of your majesty, you who threw down those who opposed you. Now think about this witness going out to two million people. Okay? The song of Moses and Miriam. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging water stood, stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Yeah, this was no ankle-deep waters, my friends. Uh-uh. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia, that's the Philistines. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Compare this to the song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation. Let me find it here real quick. I think it's Revelation 15, but I'm not sure. Is it Revelation 15? Yeah, it is. Okay, so go keep your finger there in Exodus. Go to Revelation chapter 15. And um, I'll just start in verse... One, Revelation 15, 1. I'll wait for you to get there. John is speaking. He says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. 
Seven angels with seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Here's the song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of kings. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring you glory to your name? For you alone art holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So when we go back to um, great and marvelous are your deeds, that's what God does. Lord God Almighty, that's who God is. Just and true are your ways. King of, King of the ages, so that's speaking undoubtedly of Jesus. Who will not fear you, O Lord, that speaks of us, to us of ultimate authority, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So God's justice and his righteousness is revealed. So back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, this is the first woman who is called a prophetess in the Bible. Uh, Deborah was called a prophetess in Judges, chapter 4. Isaiah's wife was called a, prophet, a prophetess, 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 yeah, that sounds weird. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, a woman named Huldah, how many of you heard of Huldah? <laughs> Don't name your girl Huldah, please, okay? What are you going to call her, Huldy? <laughs> no, no. A woman named Huldah in 2 Kings chapter 22 was named a prophetess, and there was a woman named Noadiah, N-O-A-H-D-I-A-H, Noadiah, right? In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 19, that was called prophetess. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. And this was common when... The, guy, the men would come back from a battle or a war. The woman would greet them with music and, and food and etc. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is the why the place is called Marah. So the people kneeled down and prayed and said, Thank you, Lord, that there's no water. We trust in you. And what? Do you guys have a different version? Oh, oh you do? Oh. 
So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? As if Moses was the water boy here. Now Moses, in his role as intercessor, cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. You know, the wood of the cross of Jesus makes a bitter life sweet, doesn't it? Yeah. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So God is requiring obedience here, okay? Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm springs. This is about seven miles south of the bitter water, okay? So they traveled seven miles south of where they found the bitter water, and they found these 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Talk about being specific, huh? Not 11 springs, but 12 springs. And 70 palm trees, not 69. Verse 16. Then the... Chapter 16, yes. I was just testing you. <laughs> and you passed, by the way. Uh, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Now this... This word sin is, has nothing to do with sin, okay? It's just, it's just a derivative of, of something that's related to Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So you got that? 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt, they came to this um, desert of sin, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Check out their memory bank here, okay? Check it out. There, in Egypt, you know what we did? We all sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Really? Gosh, it seems to me like I read somewhere that they were mistreated and that they were worked to death and that they were slaves and now all of a sudden they're just sitting around Egypt eating all the food they want. In fact, in, I, don't, I don't know exactly where it is, probably in Exodus, but they, but they even complain about well, you know, we had the watermelon, the pomegranates, we had the filet mignon, and all that stuff in Egypt. We don't have that out here. All we have is this stupid manna. What's that? Oh, oh. Don't get me started. So I was watching... <laughs> Too late. I was watching the news. I got to eat lunch and I watched the news. I was watching the people in Louisville and they were peacefully marching 
I assume to the city center or somewhere. It just showed them marching. And they showed one guy that had an AK-47 uh, strapped to his side, another guy that had a, a bayonet that was literally this long. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, these people aren't looking for peace. They're, they're looking for trouble, you know. I mean, yeah, terrible. Um, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, that, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So what is God testing them? He's, he's giving them a test. Are they going to trust me every day? Okay? Will they trust me every single day to provide what they need? So, verse 6, Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, as if they didn't already. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard you grumbling. Well, that's the third time he's mentioned grumbling in the last three verses, so I think Moses is trying to get a point across, isn't he? While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell, so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest. 
a holy Sabbath to the, to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. It's interesting that even though the law has not been given yet, the law will not be given to Exodus until Exodus chapter 20, I believe it is. And yet, um, God is setting the table for a Sabbath rest. Now remember something about the Sabbath rest. In the Old Testament, it was a day. Okay, it was from sundown on Friday, right, to sundown on Saturday. It was, that was the time that God set. And why did he set that aside? He set that aside so that people would not work. So the people would trust in him. And, and the, what they had gathered on Friday, they had Saturday. Now, it doesn't say Saturday here. We don't know what day it was. But anyway, and, and that was to be a day of rest and reflection and thankfulness, etc. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it says there is still a place of rest for us today. Now, rest today, the Sabbath rest, is not a day. It's not Saturday. It's not Sunday. It's every day. Every day we are to rest in faith that God will provide everything we need for life and for happiness. And that's really what the Sabbath rest was designed to do. It was designed to set the people down so they wouldn't, they wouldn't work, just like us, so we wouldn't work for our salvation. You can't work. It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but it doesn't say to work for your salvation, to work it out. Okay? Be respectful of God, etc. And so, this was, as far as I can see, I mean, we're not under the law yet, but yet he's setting a precedent here for the folks. Okay? Does everyone understand what I just said? If, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. Okay? We've got people that, I mean, technically by the law, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Okay? That hasn't changed. But, we are not under the law. So, the Sabbath is no longer a day, it's a place. It's a place that we need to be. It's a place that our minds need to be, our hearts need to be. It needs to be a place of resting in God's promises. Let's finish her up. It says, let's see, where are we? Somebody help me. 24, okay, thank you. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses says, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day's Sabbath, there will, be not, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Oh, poor Moses. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day 
he gives bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out, so the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. Do you know what manna means? What is it? You know why they named it that? Because they didn't know what it was. <laughs> what is it? We'll call it manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. By the way, um, manna, God provided manna all the way through the desert wanderings up until the, the Jews ate their first meal at Canaan and you can find that the manna ceased in Joshua chapter 5 verses 11 to 12. Now, as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 34, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate the manna until they reached the border of Canaan. I just said that. And Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Oh, I knew you were jonesing to know that. Okay. Huh? The testimony, the, 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 um, where, where are you seeing that, hon? Uh, Aaron put the man in front of the testimony. So, when, okay, so, there was the temple. Before the temple, there was the what? The tabernacle, right? Okay. Had God told them to build the tabernacle yet? No. So then there was the testimony. So there was something that God was accumulating that was going to go into the tabernacle and, and consequently into the temple. Yes, Bill? The Ark of the Testament could be... Yeah. So what was in the ark that God had built? It was Aaron's rod that budded, the manna, and the laws, right? Yeah. So we just saw here where God said, keep some of that manna, and we're going to use it later on to show people what I provided for you in the desert. So, Yeah. Well, shall we go home? I'm pooped. I don't know if anybody else is. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know, it's easy for us, Lord, to look at the Israelites, to see how you provided for them, to see what mistakes they made in complaining, and yet, Lord, we do the same thing. It's amazing, Father. Help us to realize, Lord, that you're going to provide for us every single day of every single year until we're gone. That we are your peculiar people, a people that are, that are um, savored by you, Lord, a people that are favored by you. And Father, help us to have faith. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. So Father, we claim the faith that comes by hearing the word that we heard tonight. We pray that you'll bless this Sunday service, Lord, 
and that you'll bring those people that you want to have come. We pray that you'll bless all of the church services coming up and that, Lord God, you would open up the churches that are closed, Father. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.